Our Favorite Albums is sponsored by Complete Data Systems. As a retailer, you need the best possible tools in your retail store, including bulletproof point-of-sale software. If you want the most complete retail reports possible, check out retailprodemo.com. That is retailprodemo.com. This year, legendary rock icon Todd Rundgren will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on his third bid to join. And for good reason. A 70s pop sensation, he was originally known as a power pop star. However, he was enlisted by a record company to try to harness an untamed British power pop group that was destined for stardom, but was never quite capable of breaking into the mainstream in the U.S. Rundgren took a collection of demo tapes and crafted together a really poignant concept album through a series of unorthodox recording techniques, mostly creating tension and infighting for the group that ended up with Rundgren not only making an enemy out of the group's leader, but also resulted in him quitting the project completely during the final mastering sessions. That group returned to Swindon, England, completely dejected and certain that their work was all rubbish and would never amount to much. The record company responsible for U.S. distribution even left off one of the songs because they felt it was way too controversial for American audiences. So the band was ready to break up completely. Then, out of nowhere, college radio picked up on a single release that had a B-side that included that controversial song. And suddenly, U.S. audiences were not only intrigued by the album, but they demanded more until that record company went back and re-released the entire album with the controversial song included as the finale. That vaulted the album up the charts and solidifying that the band would be back together. The result? That album is now listed on all review sites with the highest reviews, five stars, almost universally. And it is considered one of the greatest albums of the entire 80s. There are chances that you've never heard it. But if you have, it may be one of your favorite albums of all time. It's certainly one of ours. And today we want to tell you all about the 1986 landmark album Skylarking by XTC. Our Favorite Albums is a commentary, criticism, and music review podcast. All tunes are copyrighted and owned by the artist, not us. We just have to tell... <laughs> Motherfucker. We are just here to tell our opinions, which obviously are our own, and don't reflect any artist, a sponsor, or whatever. This is Our Favorite Albums. Welcome to Our Favorite Albums, a podcast exploring music in a brand new way. Sorta. We discuss albums that may be unknown, they may be overlooked, they may even be forgotten. But these happen to be our favorite albums that we want you to know about too. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jason. Hey, how's it going? Today we're going back to the excess 80s. And we're going to discuss a very unique concept album by a British group that had such a unique background and composition that it truly is one of a kind. And today, we are going to dissect the 1986 Hallmark 80s album, Skylarking by XTC. 
unique is a uh, is a very good choice of words for this yeah. album. <laughs> it's weird, right? It, it, it is really weird. Like the yeah, the way it came one. about, the way it was built, the way that the album was put together, the way it was written. I mean, oh yeah, well, all, all, it, of, right? all of the all of the pieces to the puzzle, and you alluded to some of this in the intro about you know bringing in the outside producer who. I, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but Todd Rundgren was famous for producing guys like Meatloaf. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, so exactly this is exactly right. Um, like '70s cheese rock. Yeah, and, it, and, and I, I mean, no disrespect. It's just that's what it is. I mean, it, um, I, I will I will piggyback off it with you. I would mean all disrespect. That's <laughs> <laughs> that style of music that, is awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah that 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 whole uh, it was um, like suspended chords and kind of like augmented. I mean, just like it was just. Rungard obviously had talent. Um, when you brought this album in, and we were, you know, and researching it, and I don't think there's really anything he's ever been associated with before this. A that sounded like this, or B that I probably liked. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, that's the guy's got talent, but it's an interesting choice for the record company to go. Hey, you'd be the right guy for these guys. <laughs> Well, it's a funny thing that you say that, uh, because Todd Rundgren, uh, power pop superstar of the 70s, uh, and by the way, in case you've never heard Todd Rundgren, uh, we're not focusing on Todd Rundgren, but I, while I was here, I figured I'd go ahead and give you an example of oh, his... He's, he's a big piece of the puzzle, so yeah, people so should know who he is. They yeah. should. And here is his most famous song. Remember this song? You probably heard this song on classic rock radio. Uh, I know for sure Dennis Miller used to use this song, at least did once when I was a kid, uh, kind of in the late 80s, when um, uh, he was coming into Weekend Update. You know, he right, would do songs right. like this. But uh, this is Todd Rundgren. This, this is a song called I Saw the Light from 1972. Wasn't this in the uh, Johnny Depp cocaine movie? Below? I, I seem to remember this being like, and I could be wrong because it's kind of, this style of 70s music all kind of yeah. sounds the same, but yeah. it sounds like it. Well, in and this album actually is a really good album if you like this this style of music. Um, there was another song on here that you may know this one. Yeah. I mean, I'm just covered in douche chills. Oh yeah, it's, it's not my thing at all. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, just kind of wanky rock, uh, but it's pop and it's whatever was going on with bell bottom romance and. Yeah, you know, yeah. There, there you go. Absolutely, it's yeah. totally that kind of stuff. So once again, like really strange choice. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about Todd Rundgren real quick, uh, just so we can kind of be done with it. Uh, he did have that breakout album that we just played from. That was something, anything from 1972. Uh, he had that song, "I Saw the Light" and "Hello, It's Me," the two songs that I just played. Uh, but he also had a song in 1983 that was pretty big called Bang the Drum All Day. Right. Remember that song? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just a complete whipping of a song. Of, of, of whipping, right. of a whipping, of a whipping. Yeah. And, and I would even go so far as to say that his production um, techniques were really overdone. Like, I, for what for what I like in music, it just seemed like it was way overdone. Sure. I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the albums, because he, he was a pop star. But he was really more well-known as a record producer. Right. Uh, his record, you might not know all that well, but you mentioned Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. Right. Which is that with Jim Stein. Like, like it or like it or love it or hate it, I would say hate it for you know me, but yeah. it was a very, very, very popular album. I'll tell you what, if I'm planning cornerstones for the for the 70s, I'm probably going to make that a cornerstone. Uh, because know, Sure, sure. I can see know, that. It, Especially of that, that genre, which was so ubiquitously 
Yeah, kind of like ubiquitously. I think I made up a word there. Ubiquitously, (laughs) ubiquitously. So you so popular. How's that? Yeah. Uh, True. Uh, Really harnessing some of the uh, like drama kid type music uh, that "Bad Out of Hell" the way it was composed and the way it was written by uh, Meatloaf and Jim Steinem. Yeah, that was Steinman. Yeah, that whole thing is like his whole persona was really theatrical. Yeah, very very theater type stuff. When you, I remember being a kid and like seeing the cover for "Bad Out of Hell." I was like, "What is this? Is this like this is Osborne thing? Right? This is this is this is (laughs) Ozzy. This is like metal. This is going to be amazing." And then he gets on there. Like, this is terrible. What is happening? Is that a piano? Yeah, what is going on? <laughs> uh, he also did Badfinger Straight Up uh, and then Grand Funk Railroads We're an American Band. Uh, Which is a very sing-along, groovy 70s yeah. rock and roll type I mean, stuff, all, yeah. All three of those are huge in the 70s. Absolutely. Um, so as he transitioned out of the early success that he had uh, as being an actual performer, and then started getting into where he was actually doing record production, uh, he was pretty well known as, as a guy that could come in and just kind of salve problems um, and do so very inventively and very cheaply. And that's where we come with XTC. Okay. Uh, XTC, a quick brief history of, of this band. They're from Swindon, the, uh, the west country of England. And so uh, if you are in London and you turn your boat towards the southwest, you are looking at... Swindon. So you're on the Thames, obviously. Yeah. If, if you, uh, for some reason, you, you were to drive to Swindon, uh, <laughs> you would go through Brixton, and that's where David Bowie was from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and these guys of XTC from Swindon, they spoke with West Country English accent. If uh, you want to know about West Country English, this is what the pirates spoke. And so normally when we, when we try to fake an English accent, what do we do? We always drop the R's, right? Sure. Uh, you know, from from Britain, we put the R in there, but on the end, if it ends like in "caw," you know, you kind of drop the R out. In the West Country, they overdo the R. So think of a pirate, R, <laughs> right? That's just kind of how that's how, how they talk from. over yeah. there. Gotcha. And if you listen really close to the way that these guys pronounce this, it's very rural. It's very country, and so it's it's uh, considered kind of crude. And a lot of these guys from this area, they would try to drop that accent. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Uh, XTC from Swindon, uh, they were part of the '70s punk scene. That they were really one of the uh, the bands that really hit big, especially in the UK. And they transitioned into the new wave movement. Right? Uh, they were known for a very lively stage performance, very very upbeat, lots of lots of energy moving around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there were four people in the band at one time: the uh, singer, the brilliant, the uh, kind of the the brain of everything is Andy Partridge. And I don't know if you've if you figured out through your your investigation of XTC, but Andy Partridge is a wacky fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like he was a terrible, really hard person to be in a band with. Really hard to be yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, he started a uh, a decade long Valium uh, <laughs> addiction that he started to get off in 1984, and part of his addiction to Valium and his depression because of that, they just stopped performing. Really? Yeah, they just stopped. Yeah, didn't they stop being a live band for a while? That's it. They stopped okay. doing. They stopped performing live band. Just well, I mean, and that happens. There's always the the guy that just couldn't perform anymore for one reason or another. The band's yeah. stuck doing it. But that's from a band that kind of made their name being a live band. That's a that's a hard it's a hard break to take. Yeah, it sure is. Um, but but it's interesting that it happened that way. So if if you think about bands that were huge, uh, that performed big and everyone loved, 
uh, and they stopped performing live. I mean, the Beach Boys comes to mind because Brian Wilson had to stop. There, there's so much Beach Boys that were just kind of that name's going to be dropped a lot over yeah. the next and, little bit. Yeah. And the Beatles, you yeah. Know, after Both after after the Help album, they stopped performing live. You know, Rubber Soul they became a a, uh, a studio act only, right? And if we listen very closely, we're going to hear a lot of oh, that jingle pop. A- absolutely, that, right? that's that's the biggest thing that comes to mind uh, for me on listening to this. Yeah. So bef- before I and go you any further, know how much I love the Beach Boys, yeah. <laughs> or the Beatles, or the Beatles. <laughs> so there you go. So before we get into this, tell me what what did you think about before you before I brought this up? Did you know anything about XTC? What what if so? Uh, what did I, you know about them? So I've uh, I remember the. I think it was off of Oranges and Lemons, which mm-hmm. was the next album. Yeah, I th- is that the, the album that Peter Pumpkinhead was on? I believe so. And or was that on the next one? Uh, I be- <sighs> Mayor of Simpleton for sure was on that one. Okay, so then I think uh, Pumpkinhead, Peter Pumpkinhead, was on their '92 release. What, I can't so. remember the name, but uh, I remember that song being on the radio all the time, and it was really catchy. Yeah. Um, and it a song called "The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead" Peter with Pumpkinhead. a line called "Peter Pumpkinhead came to you know, Peter Pumpkinhead came to town" was the most ridiculous lyric I'd ever heard um, on the radio. Mm. But it was such a catchy song, and really, really liked it. But so when you said XTC, that's the first thing that popped into my head was it's 1992, and I'm listening to the Silly Pumpkinhead song on the radio. Yeah. Um, but I had never heard Skylarking. I'm familiar with the controversial song because it was all over, you know, college radio for quite a long time right. um, in that time period, um, and so I guess I knew it was XTC, but I, no connection otherwise. This is an album that I had never listened to at all before you brought it to the podcast. Awesome, yeah, awesome. I, I do want to mention a couple people before I go any farther. I want to give a huge shout out to my buddy Greg Tiller. Uh, Greg is a guy who lives here locally. Uh, used to work at the radio station, spent a, 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 an entire career in the radio business, and uh, this is one of his favorite albums as well. And he and I have randomly had oh, cool. like, stop conversations where we just talk about Skylarking. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Sean Lehman. She is with Bon Sins Media. That is B-O-N-S-E-N-S media.com. Uh, Sean was doing some of the uh, the marketing for our last episode when we were at Pratt's Books. Um and she's reached out to me, and she's been a, uh, a lot of fun to talk to about music. So, That's awesome. Uh, if you're looking for a social media marketing for your business, definitely reach out to bonsinsmedia.com. Uh, and lastly, a big shout-out to our buddy Gordon for supplying us with the Spotten Oktoberfest beer we're drinking today. <laughs> Thanks for the beer, Gordon. <laughs> uh, so you didn't know anything about XCC other than Peter Pumpkinhead? Yeah, no. I'm aware of the band, but not anything I ever listened to. Yeah. Certainly not, like I said, familiar with this, the, the one song off of this that was a, a big single, but otherwise nothing. Sure. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit about how I came to find it. By the way, this is my pick. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is Mike's pick. Yeah, the, the way that we do our favorite albums is we take turns picking an album, and then we spend the next few weeks investigating that album, listening to it uh, completely from front to back, because we think that the way that you can really digest the way albums used to be made uh, is a full album spin front to back, and so that's why we do this this way. And, and some, if I can interject there real quick, I know of you're course. giving the background, but okay. s- some albums more than others that really is a huge difference. And this is one of those. Yeah, like th- this was th- this is intended to be listened to in order completely. And if, yeah. you, if you allow uh, your stereo, whatever you're listening to, to shuffle 
these tunes, you're out of order. You're you miss a lot on yeah. that. Yeah, this is yeah. one of those albums that's really intended to, to be listened to front to back, and that's that. Yep. So uh, Jason and I both are big fans of progressive rock or prog rock, uh, and the concept of the concept album, which is the entire album as a piece of art, not just picks right. picking singles out. Everybody rates. Everybody records singles. Yeah. Especially now. now. Yeah. now. All it is now is singles. But back in the golden days of music, it was albums. Yeah, until 20 years ago before streaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. there were still singles, you know, top 40 singles. Well, that's how you get people to buy your album, right? You release a single and then they go pick up the record. That's, yeah. that's how the world used to work. But concept albums, you and I are both, we, we both have an affinity for the concept Absolutely. album. You know, whether it be uh, this album, which uh, once we get into it is a very obviously a concept album as it's put together with one common theme that goes all the way through and the entire piece is to be digested as a singular play to uh, an album like Queen's Reich's uh, Operation oh, yeah. Crime. One, uh, of the, one of the greats. Yeah. Uh, Rush Rush has a couple albums that I would put up there. Pink, Absolutely. Pink Floyd definitely with um, two, uh, at least two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that idea where you buy an album and every single song contributes back to the entire piece is... Um, yeah, man, I, I love that about listening to albums. You I, know? I, I do too. That's that's the best thing about yeah. it. But uh, these songs weren't recorded to be a concept album. That's what's that's what's unique about this, right? <laughs> it sure was. So, uh, with the depression and with the volume addiction, Andy Partridge uh, became really hard to deal with. Uh, they had a hit in 1979 called "Waiting for Nigel." A lot of their songs are uh, their their songs are very high minded. It takes a lot of um, like digging in to find out what they're talking about because they do a lot of high context references, uh, kind of deep thoughts stuff. They do a lot of callbacks to children's stories and um, you know that some some people might tales. say that they're kind of snooty Englishmen, kind of, but they're from the West Country. I know, but so th- that, that's, that's what's really you funny. explained that earlier. So it's actually kind of funny. It's it's like they were. Like they made the music extra elevated to kind of compensate a yeah. little bit, and, all, and, and I'm sure there's an XTC fan out there right now that's going to go, "You don't know what the fuck you're talking about." <laughs> well, you're probably right, but that's just kind of looking out from the outside looking in. That's what it seems like sometimes. Sure, and that's our perception as the ugly American. You know, we're looking sure, at sure, this sure. from the, uh, the the snooty, effet uh, British guy that's you know walking around speaking in in Cockney slang. Uh, but, but you mentioned the album, <laughs> the, the album "Oranges and Lemons." That was from a nursery rhyme. Right, exactly. Yeah, where, where they talk about all the, the different churches, and so that's how you remember the churches was orange and lemons and whatever the, the thing was, and you go to the next little rhyming thing. Well, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of notes on the run sheet here about the various children's rhymes and stories and books yeah. that a lot of the songs we're going to talk about here in a few minutes are from. Yeah, which makes or sense. Or influenced by, I should say. Uh, so a- Andy Partridge is the guy who writes most of the songs. Uh, the bass player, a guy by the name of Colin Molding. Uh, we'll talk about him in a second in more detail. Yeah, filled in in a bit. Um, are you impressed with Colin? Actually, Lillard? we'll talk about him right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as you know, and I'm sure people who've listened to the, the show know, I am a huge fan of great bass players. Mm-hmm. Um, the bass is, I, I play guitar, but the bass is probably my favorite instrument. I love the bass. Yeah. And uh, he is a fantastic God, bass is player. He good. And uh, one of the best things about listening to this album was getting to know his bass playing because yeah. it is absolutely fantastic. Um, he is without question in my to me to my ear um he is the highlight of this band mm. he is the thing to listen to i i i i put him above all else do you i do it, it, interesting um it, and i think that andy partridge tends to be uh, very dominating you know very domineering over this group and, and almost abusive to everyone else sure uh, the, the other guy 
uh, in the band, by the way. By the way, they started off with a drummer at one point, uh, but it's a good time for me to go ahead and point out that they dropped that drummer. Yeah, this is actually a big... <laughs> we talked about this album being unique. This is another unique piece of this album. Yeah, so XTC is three guys. It's Andy Partridge, who plays guitar and sings. It's Colin Molding, who sings and plays the bass. And Dave Gregory, who sings backup, is just kind of a catch-all for whatever instrument he has laying around. Right, yeah, whatever right. else they need for the song. Yeah, uh, not including any kind of percussion. Guitars, pianos, synth, yeah. yeah. Um, random sounds and whistles and stuff that he picks up. No drums, because they fired their drummer, and they <laughs> did this like Steely Dan move where they just they bring in session drummers for all of their albums, which was one of the issues that... I think that they suffered from was that they had a really hard time putting together a composition because they just didn't well, have, a have a drummer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I shout out to all the good drummers out there. Nothing sounds right without the drums. If you're playing rock or jazz for that matter, blues, I mean, any of those genres, the drums are such, everybody seems to, tends to think of the drummer as being least important because they sit in the back typically on the stage. Right. And that you, you don't think of the guitar solos or the vocals. Like that stuff comes to the front of the mind right. and the drummers are back there, but there is no band without a drummer. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand how you could record to this to point of this album, how they could record these songs without having the drum tracks laid down. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, the white stripes, uh, that was a guitar player and a drummer. Literally. Uh, Sleigh Bells was a guitar player and a drummer. You know, when you have to have drums, you can, you can Black drop Keys out is Black a guitar Keys, player yeah. and a drummer, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there, there's, so, a, there's a theme here. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, there was a, what, what's that weird, a crazy group from Austin? Uh, Ghostland Observatory. I think that is a keyboard player and a drummer. And a drummer, yeah. Uh, I think you're right. And so you got to have the drums in there because right. they, they provide the foundation. And XTC just didn't have one. Yeah, so the fact that they recorded this album, Sands Drums... And then brought in, you were about to name the guy, brought in the studio drummer to lay down drum tracks after they were done is just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the drummer on this album is a guy named Prairie Prince. He was the drummer for a group called The Tubes, Tube, uh, that he actually recorded. All of his parts were overdubs after the after everything insane. was recorded and he was in San Francisco and just all insane. of this was recorded at the Utopia Studios in Woodstock, New York. <laughs> just insane. <laughs> just the way that they did that is insane, right? Uh, just crazy, yeah. And, again, and once again, I, I think that speaks a lot to uh, Colin's bass playing. You know, that he laid down these tracks without thinking about where the rest of the other half of the rhythm section was going to mm -hmm. come from. And of course, his bass styling is more along the lines of somebody like Getty Lee you know, from Rush, who kind of tends to not necessarily play in the pocket with the drummer, but kind of play their own thing. Yeah. He's definitely very riff-oriented, very melodic, and not necessarily um, a, a drop-back-and-play-with-the-drummer guy, so it makes more sense. But yeah. still, hard to imagine. I mean, you play bass. Yeah. Playing well, without, I mean, tr trying to do it without the drummer would be difficult. I mean, right? the, the rhythm section is the drummer and the bass player, you know? Uh, if you're a marching band, the rhythm section is going to be your bass horns and your drums. You know? Sure, I mean, sure. You've got to have that beat that goes all the way through and the bass is a part of that and that's what anchors everything down yeah. so th always, this, yeah they recorded this without a, not to belabor the point but it, it just baffles me that they recorded this album without such like they built the house without putting the foundation and yeah. until it was done I mean everyone plays to a metronome right uh, the, these guys recorded an album without a beat and which yeah. is just insane but that also goes to the kind of the insane levels of production sure uh, that Todd Rundgren was able to bring to this right and so let's talk about that so Andy Partridge has suggested that he is potentially autistic on the autism spectrum. Okay. Uh, he suffers from tinnitus, 
which is a uh, ringing, ringing in the, in the ears, ears. Yeah. yeah, to the point where uh, I think he has at least one suicide attempt uh, because he just couldn't take that ringing. Uh, this is a guy who, again, had Valium as an addiction, has suffered from depression. Uh, man, he's got some personal There's issues some, that... Yeah, and, and as we get into this this album, the way that this is constructed, some of these songs, you can feel the anger and the frustration with just kind of with life in general. It's like this weird existential Like a little bit, crisis. but that's mostly in the lyrics because most of the music is jangly British pop. And isn't that an interesting juxtaposition? It is. It's really weird. Yeah. yeah. And once again, that takes, some, that takes some listening to to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, the uh, th- Their record label was Virgin Records. Uh, it was distributed in the United States by Geffen Records. Okay. Um, they signed with Virgin Records in the 70s. They had a hit with Waiting for Nigel. And then Virgin was just kind of sitting around waiting for the next hit. And they just produced. Which didn't show up. Yeah, it just didn't <laughs> produce anything. They were transitioning between uh, between punk and this new, new wave. And then they didn't have a drummer. And so finally, Virgin says in 1985... You have to sell 70,000 records, otherwise we're dropping you. Now, 70,000 is not a lot of records, but they were so flummoxed, so frustrated with this group that they thought had so much potential but were just so hard to get along with that they gave them a quota of 70,000 records, otherwise they were dropping them. Well, let's put that in perspective, though, because you're right. To a a recording act, to an established recording act, 70,000 records shouldn't be a big deal, Uh, especially not in the time period when record sales were an actual thing. Yeah. Right, as opposed to streaming now. Um, but if you haven't done anything in a while and you're coming out as basically coming from nowhere, that's 70,000 records is a lot of records. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, if, if you're unknown. I mean, XTC has, I mean, they've basically been silent now for a little while. They haven't been touring, which is the foundation of any rock and roll band. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot. That, that would be a big uphill battle to climb, that, I would think. They, they were kind of, I mean, Andy Partridge has a short haircut. He's bald now, but uh, he had like a really short, short haircut, which. You know that that didn't that didn't fit into the XS eighties. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. everyone had big hair. Even Colin Molding kind of had this great big weird mullet what thing. Kind of new on. wave alternative punk pop band are you guys? Yeah, uh, singing you look like a banker, dude. What's going on? <laughs> singing these like songs in the round, you know, where they talking about uh, children's nursery rhymes, and you know, just like where do these guys fit in? So uh, the, the record company gives them a mandate: you've got to sell seventy thousand records, and so. They give them a list of producers. They say, you have to choose one of these producers. New producer, new everything. Choose one of these producers. And the band sits down, which is basically Andrew Partridge sitting down with Dave Gregory and Colin Moulding, and telling them, the only name that I recognize on this list that Virgin Records gave us is Todd Rundgren. (laughs) So that's literally why they picked him, because he was the only name they recognized. The only name that they recognized. That's hilarious. Now, so they called Todd Rundgren, and they said... (laughs) to him are you interested in doing this album for xdc and he said you know what i actually saw them live one time so he had seen them in 1980 and liked their music um and listened to some of their other stuff and it was like wow this is like really out there like this is the stuff that he I could do something with this yeah, yeah th- this is out there and so the record company gives him a mandate you got to control andy partridge he's going to try to take over he's going to try to ruin everything for you You've got to keep him on task, and you can't go over budget because these guys aren't making us any money. And we would really like to make some money. Yeah. Todd Rundgren was known as a bit of a uh, kind of a stern okay. iron fist when he needed to be. And so he says, you got it. So they signed the guy, and now he has to produce an album. 
So I think that the, the way this works, it may have been through a letter. It may have been through a phone call. I'm not really sure. They were in the UK. He was uh, in his studios in Woodstock, New York called Utopia Studios. They get in contact and he says, okay, so what do you have in mind? And, uh, you know, they kind of hem on like, you know, because they know that they're under the mandate. Right. And you take someone who's already upset and uh, someone who's really, I don't know, kind of hard to deal with anyway. You give him a mandate and suddenly you have someone who's just petulant. Right. Yeah. And, and now you give him a new boss who's going to enforce the mandate. And mm-hmm. th- this is a recipe for badness. So he didn't, they didn't have any ideas. They had no idea what they wanted to do. They didn't have a name. They just had a bunch of demo tapes. Okay. So he says, send me the demo tapes. He listens to them, and he says, there's a concept here. He starts arranging these songs and listens to them, and he says, you guys have a brilliant concept album here. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. They wrote the songs. Uh, Colin Molding actually has five songs on the album, which, right. was, uh, which was different. Uh, That's more than he had contributed in the past. Yeah. Right. And and everyone, including Colin Molding and Andy Partridge uh, and Todd Rundgren, will all say the only reason he had that many was because Todd Rundgren absolutely forced it through. Because Rundgren liked the songs. He wanted those on the concept? Yeah. He, okay. he, he those can, songs were part – those demos were part of his vision. They had some songs that were childlike and kind of innocent and then belied this existential crisis with anger – and then ended up with this song called Dear God mm-hmm. that is one of the most forcibly, forceful, strong. I, I, I don't even know how, how you would even characterize this song as much as it is someone who's so, so angry at religion that, uh, you know, to put these, these songs down and these words down into the song is just like, my goodness. I mean, that is so strong. And that's the song that was left off the original pressing of the U.S. release. Well, and, and it wasn't it because it didn't fit Rundgren's version of the concept? Well, and, and I think that they went to um, they went to the record company, and the record company was like, you cannot put that on this gotcha. album. Gotcha. Okay. So my understanding was that Rundgren didn't have it on there originally because it wasn't like where he started and where he ended the album was what he wanted. Yeah. I think, but I thought Partridge wanted the song on there, and then that was part of his... Back and forth with Rundgren over how they were going to actually do this whole thing. And then the record company was like, well, we'll side with him because we don't want to release the song. And well, this is 1986 for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kidding. nowadays you can literally put anything out in a single and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what it is or how offensive it is or anything. Yeah. But, but back in 86, then it was tough. Yeah. It was actually, it was a different world. Yeah. And when, when college radio started playing this song and it started taking off in some of the more mainstream. Right. Um, uh, stations started playing it. They were getting bomb threats and death threats. From, right, it was a big deal. Well, you know, it's always funny to me that someone who's religion, uh, <laughs> someone who's religious, like, like, don't say anything bad about our, our religion, and if or you you're do, getting gonna, a bomb, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> we are not a violent religion, and if you say that again, I will behead you. <laughs> Northern Ireland had several years of that. Yeah, since we're talking about a British band. So the concept of this album is the album starts. And ends with the full cycle of life. A human is born, emerges from the womb, and each song is a step through this person's life. And a phase, if you will. Yeah, yeah. A, a phase that they go through. Or maybe what we consider to be, again, this nursery rhyme type life. Uh, this is what happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. Almost like formulaic, this is how things go. Right. Uh, Except that 
there's no happily ever after here. This is yeah, a, it's just it just kind of goes. Yeah, this is a person's life that is fraught with struggle and fraught with heartache. Uh, that nothing good has happened, everything bad has happened. They have turned into a bitter person, and it ends with this deathbed letter to God, right? Where the person is singing and saying all the reasons as they are dying why they don't believe in God. And see, and I think that I, uh, and obviously we'll talk about the song when we get to it. But that song works better ending this album with the explanation that you just gave as it works as a single. Yeah. Because as a single to me, it comes across as somebody just trying to be edgy and throw some lyrics out there to a catchy tune. Right. So, okay, fine. You're on the radio. Everybody's paying attention to you. But as the coda, you know, as that, here we are, this is the end of it, um, to these, this story that we've set through for this other 12, 13, however many songs it is. Originally, it was 13 tracks. It okay. ended up with 15 because there were two tracks that were added when they remastered it in, okay. the, in gotcha. the early aughts. So it works well as an end to the album. But once again, this is what I talk, was talking about earlier. If you listen to an album like this out of sequence, or it's it's a, you're a lot less likely to like it. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Like because it, it, I don't like that song by itself, but as the end to the story, you get it. It right? makes sense because my my initial notes on that song when listening to it the first few times through, I was like, "This I remember the song. This is terrible." Mm-hmm. But with the whole album, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, can I tell you a little secret? Please do. Uh, Dear God was just on the outside of my favorite songs. My really? Songs. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Okay. Uh, the, the way I know about this album, and again, this is my pick uh, for this episode, the way I know about this album uh, was because when I was in school, uh, in my church, we had a videotape that we watched about why rock and roll and satanic music was all bad. And I was absolutely intrigued because it was all about backward masking and right, like okay. all the satanic stuff. And all the, the stuff that the, was supposedly the, happening. Yeah, all the satanic panic of the 80s. Right. And right in the middle of this video where they were taking the Eagles Hotel California and playing it backwards <laughs> or Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven right, or right. Cheap Trick had a song that you could play backwards and it supposedly had this like stuff towards towards Satan or whatever. <laughs> That's right in the middle of this they played a clip was Dear God. of Dear God of Ecstasy's oh, so Dear God. Uh, and it was the, the only part that they played was the very end where it's the anger build up to the very end while Again, back to the concept. It's the person who's about to right, die. Right. Their entire life is about to end, and they are yelling. And it's like, dot, 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 and that's the way that pace is. And in the video, it's him banging on a tree. And so it goes back to the Christian concept of the cross where he's like, pop, 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 and banging. And that scared the hell out of me. Really? Yeah, absolutely scared the hell out of me. And I wanted this album so bad afterwards. Just because. Yeah. yeah. Because it was different from, say, it, this wasn't satanic. You know, this wasn't the, the goofy hair metal stuff, you know, ACDC, Highways to, right, Highway to right. Hell and all that. You know, it, it wasn't the slasher movie. It was it was just different. It just scared me. And I, and I absolutely loved it. And what, what's crazy. That's, that's fascinating to me. It yeah. really is. Uh, and, I, and I still love it. I still love the crooked chords, the, uh, the diminished minor thirds that are inside here. The, um, the way that it starts off with a little kid singing and so even the song starts off with a little kid starting off and ends with a little kid singing. And so, again, it's this cycle of life that sure. contributes to that entire concept album of the entire thing. Well, I, I definitely don't like the song as much as you do, but it, it, it makes interesting. Sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and the song itself was singular into the entire album uh, because I knew it that way. But then I got the album. That was your introduction yeah. to XTC and to yeah. the album in general. And, and the intricate 
musicianship that these guys play with because they are really good musicians, right? They are. They are. Um, so it's it's funny, you know. It says we're, we're, we're talk we're kind of are you ready to talk about the album a yeah. little bit, or did you have any more background no, I'm details ready to go. you wanted to go? Okay. So when I started listening to this, and I said earlier, I'd never listened to this before. You suggested it. And I found this so unlistenable mm. on the first few passes through that it was a absolute beating. And uh, for anybody that follows the podcast, you know that the last the last episode we did was the Turnpike Troubadours with our buddy Dan. Um, and Michael and I do not listen to Red Dirt Country. And that was like the whole – if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's a lot of fun. We recorded it live. It was a good time. But I literally found myself like – wishing we could do a Troubadours album again because I was hating this so much. <laughs> it was just an absolute beating. And it, a lot of it has to do with the first two tracks, yeah. which are just really hard to get through. There's a lot of sound effect in here. Yeah, and it's just it, this is none of it was in my wheelhouse whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and, it, and it's jangle pop and you hate that shit. Oh, with abs- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We we already talked about two other bands that I don't care for in that genre. So, yeah. but when you push through it, like if you give it time and listen to the story, there are actually now and I'm going to have some critical stuff to say about some of the songs when we get into that, but there there is some good stuff here and a lot of that has to do with the musicianship because yeah. the musicianship is really top notch and you know we talked about Colin earlier his bass playing is fantastic but everybody's good even yeah. the session drummer is really good yeah yeah uh so the, the album that came after this that you mentioned, Oranges and Lemons, right. I also had that tape when I was a kid. I, I say tape. I didn't have a record of this. I had it on tape. <laughs> but uh, I had that tape, and I love that album as well. Uh, that song starts off with a song. Uh, that album starts off with a song called Garden of Earthly Delights that has uh, it has a sitar in it, uh, which was very yeah, Beatle- Beatles-esque. I mean, yeah. the Beatles were doing that stuff. Uh, this album has they a song. They have a slightly Indian theme going on this album as well. Yeah. They do. And so I, I think we go back and look at this. More I rhythmic, think, no sitar, but yeah, the same kind of stuff. Uh, there's a tabla in yeah, the, yeah, the big exactly. boom, 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 that Indian drum sound. Uh, they put a tabla in one of these songs. And so very Beatles-esque. I, I think the guys from XTC were very, very big fans of the Beatles. Oh, obviously. Yeah. I mean, with without question. Uh, all and, and, all and, the way down and, to... And the Beach Boys as well. Yeah. I mean, those are obviously huge influences, both of them. All the way down to refusing to perform live. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. <laughs> well, and let's talk about something else with this album. Okay. Um, this album, you, you know I'm kind of a nerd for what, especially when we go back several years, like what other things were recorded in the year, because it's just it's kind of an interesting snapshot into the time period yeah. of what was on the radio. This album, so I think at Billboard at the time, the highest it charted that year was number 70. Okay. Now, as you mentioned in the intro, um, it has since been recognized as a really, really important album. Yeah. But there was a lot of albums recorded that year. But I think the reason something like this could actually get on the radio and have even a a number 70 appeal is because of the varied taste of the time period. Yeah. You, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we've got... ZZ Top released Afterburner okay. that year. I had that album. Dire Straits released Brothers in Arms. I have that album, which two, is two, two of my favorite albums. One of the greatest ever. NXS had an album that year. Van Halen released 5150. <sighs> Springsteen released Born in the USA. Oh, wow. That was 86? Tears for Fears, Songs for the Big Chair. Songs for the Big Chair. Yeah, I mean, so there's all this stuff. How, how, many, how many albums did you just name? Five? Yeah, and I wasn't done yet. So I mean, but keep, keep going. No, keep I mean, going. It, it, it's, there's just so much stuff that's on the radio at this time period. Yeah, and it's different genres, and everybody's willing to listen to different things. And that's, I don't think these guys would ever be on the. They wouldn't make seventy today. As important as this album was, it was just it was a different time period, and everybody listened to that stuff. Yeah. But what are the other albums you have on there? Uh, we had Peter Gabriel's 
Okay. So, yeah, with Sledgehammer? Yeah, can, yeah. That can, was the biggest single of the year, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Run DMC? Raising Hell. Raising Hell. Yeah. Yeah. There were two others, though. I'm not going to say everything was good in that year. Okay. You know what else charted in the top 30 for the whole year in album sales? In 1986. Top 30 album sales billboard for the whole year. You ready? Okay. The soundtracks to Top Gun and Miami Vice. So it wasn't all roses, people. Berlin had one of the sexiest songs of the 80s, Take My Breath Away. <laughs> Dude, that was a yeah. panty dropper deluxe oh, song right sorry. there, man. And you said Miami Vice? Yeah. Was it Jan Hammer that did that? Wasn't that, that who that, that did that all Only good thing about anyway. So you mentioned maybe seven or eight albums there? Oh, yeah. And I, I was just cherry-picking stuff from the top 20, 30, 40 that I knew that you and I would find relevant. I mean, yeah. it keeps going. So I, I won't mention which ones. Uh, you mentioned three that I have on my albums list to pick. That doesn't surprise me. There's a couple on there from mine. Yeah, so yeah. That 1986 was a hell of a good year for music. Yeah, yeah it was. And, and the fact that these guys only had to sell 70,000 records and they got to number 70 on the Billboard, I would say was a success. And with that kind of competition, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Some of those are albums that are those bands' best albums. Yeah, and, and again, I, I use the term excess 80s. Uh, you know, everything was to excess. Everything was big. Everything was loud. Um, big hair, you know, smoke on all the videos. We were watching right. videos. Remember back when we had MTV and we actually listened to videos? And it was videos. Wait, listen to video. Watch video. Watch. Well, you listen to them too, I guess, right? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, that was the time period where uh, like the, the the visuals were so important because the videos were on all the time, you know, yeah. 24-7. So. Yeah. So um, let me deconstruct the album real quick just so that we understand we're all on the same page. Uh, here's a track list and the phases of life. It starts with a song called Summer's Cauldron, and that represents the birth of a brand new person. And it's even the emerging from the womb. But it's also phased with the dawning of a new day, with the sun coming up and the crickets chirping right. and the animals and the birds and the bees and just all the stuff that happens. Uh, the next song is a song called Grass, and that represents adolescence uh, and kind of youthful trouble that you get into. Uh, there's some double entendre there where he says, talks about the things we did we, on grass. We did on grass, yeah. yeah. So it, it's talking about rolling in the clover and crushing right, the, right. the grass. But also, there's also that, you know, thing about we're smoking weed. And, right, right. Uh, you we're have young a, and having fun. You have a young adult who is now meeting someone at the meeting place, is that album. Then we start having relationship struggles with a song called, <laughs> this is a tough one. This is You're Really Super. Super, Super girl. girl. Yeah. Uh, which is... I will reserve my comments on that song until we get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, you see the relationship struggles of a normal mortal who is dating Supergirl, and he's talking about how she can save the world, but she can't save the relationship. Right. You know, and so that's that like young adult stuff that we're starting to struggle with. Right. Ballet for a Rainy Day talks about sadness and depression, and so when you start breaking up, and then we get into a full-up breakup song, and that is 1,000 Umbrellas. Depression, young adult anger. We go to season cycle is the next song. That's our existential crisis as a as a young adult. It happens quite often. Earn enough for us. We're dealing with financial issues. Yeah, and now we're into an actual relationship. Uh, the, the building blocks of where this is going from here. Yeah, and and how does a young couple make enough money right. to uh, make it all work survive? out? And that song to me is as Beatles as it comes. I mean, it, oh yeah, boom, 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 with that. Bass but in song. all the right ways. Yeah. Then we have Big Day, which is about getting married. Uh-huh. We have Another Satellite, which is 
marriage problems. We have mermaid smiles, which is financial issues. Um, let's see here. The man who sailed around his soul. Again, we're back to this existential crisis, and it's done so in a really cool, uh, like, spy sound with this kind of this, like, 60s jazz. Right. Yeah, kind of like Get Smart is what it reminded me of. You know what? That's uh, that's exactly what... It, you're, you're right. It, I could not pick... Could not put my finger on what it was, but it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the '60s James Bond yeah. sound. Uh, then we actually get to a song called "Dying," about facing mortality. The penultimate song is "Sacrificial Bonfire," where we're accepting growing old and the fact that we're going to die, and then it ends with the person dying and on his deathbed, minutes before he dies, he has his prayer to God that uh, is as angry as it can be, where he tells him he doesn't believe in him because of all the troubles that he's right, seen in yeah. his lifetime. How, how bad everything's been, yeah. That's the cycle of life. And then the song ends and then uh, starts all over again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think it's brilliant. I think I think it's an absolutely brilliant album. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting, and, and we touched on this before, but I think it's so interesting that the band wrote these songs, and if it hadn't been for the producer would have released a completely different album with those songs in a completely different order. Totally. And it would not be any it would not be what it is. It would not be on everybody's list, probably. I mean they might have had a couple of singles, but I mean they only had one single that charted off of this one. Uh yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah, so they, it, they tried a couple of other singles and none of them worked. Oh yeah, there's filming. Like, no one will listen to yeah. them. Uh but again put into the body of this composition Correct. it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it, it took somebody from outside to come in and Take these songs and put them into any kind of meaningful order yeah. that would make this a lasting album. And so I, I just find that so amusing that on their own, this never would have happened. But you, you put throw the right guy at it and you get something get something that's going to last. It, it goes to the brilliance of Todd Rundgren, who uh, if you had asked me before I knew his background, the history of this, I would have gone, oh, God. That, that's the meatloaf guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you go, well, this guy was really actually pretty brilliant because he took 30 or 35 demo tapes. Mm-hmm. That these guys sent him, they were just kind of scratch recordings, and uh, and found something that they didn't know they had. Yeah. yeah, and fought with them the whole time. Let's talk about the recording. Sure, the three of them show up at Utopia Studios in uh, in Woodstock, and from the immediate get go, because Rundgren was charged with keeping things on time and keeping things under budget, he and Andy Partridge fought like cats and dogs, man. Just from the get go. Yeah, from, from the get go, because Rundgren was a prick. Partridge is an even bigger prick. And uh, they would they they were living on the the grounds and, in what they consider to be substandard housing for them, <laughs> right? But they hadn't sold anything. That's I mean, it's like yeah. they had these delusions of grandeur where they thought they were so important. Well, yeah, the sense of entitlement. Like, yeah. you guys haven't had a single in years. Who do you think you yeah, are? Who do you, you think know? you are? And they would show up and demand these things. And Todd Rundgren would literally like press the control button and go, "Guys, we're not going to do it that way." <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and so they even they even said Colin Molding even had a comment that, you know, we, we would show up and we wouldn't know the songs that we were playing when we'd actually written them. Like, we had no idea what they were. And so he'd completely rearranged them. He put in string parts. He put in uh, a bunch of piano and synth. Uh, he had put in a bunch of drum sounds that, uh, that they listened to, and they go, this sounds absolutely terrible. And so they fought constantly. Very turbulent recordings. Everything was very, very contentious. You can hear the anger, especially on 1,000 Umbrellas. Uh, when 
you hear almost this mocking tone that Andy Partridge has where he's like, over and over, and just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where he's just like a petulant little crazy right, right. kid, right? Yeah, that's terrible. So they wrapped up. Todd Rundgren took the recordings, sent it out to Prairie Prince in San Francisco. He listens to the songs, overdubs drums in the studio across the continent by himself, which is fascinating to me. Well, it is. And especially, um, you know, in this day and age, you can, it's, especially now with technology, in the last year and a half, bands have been recording albums literally, you know, across the country from each other on home recording technology and, you know, emailing or putting the files up in Dropbox and digitally editing and this and this. That wasn't the way it was done in the 80s. The idea that you just take a mixed album, send it across the country, and some other dude is going to mix in the drums and make sure that they get that right and then mail it back to you for you to master, that's insane. Just absolutely crazy. It is, yeah. And so what happened was uh, the, the master comes back, they all converge back in Utopia Studios, and the band hates it, man. <laughs> they absolutely hate what they're listening to. They just like, what is this that we're listening to? You know, because it wasn't their, inv- it wasn't what they envisioned. It. They, they, they hate all of his songs. mastering. They hate all everything he put into it. They hate the arrangements. They hate the drum. They hate everything. They hated it. everything. They're like, this is not at all what we had in mind. So then they become completely unruly, and they're like, we demand this to be done. And he was just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change things. This is how this album's going to be. This is the order of the songs. It's going to be this way. And like you talked about where he was like, we're not even going to put Dear God into it. Yeah, your record, you know? your record company sent me a check and a mandate. And I, got the, I cashed the check and I'm going to yeah. follow the mandate. And that's the end of it. Sorry. The ironic thing is years later, they went back and realized that there was a wiring issue when they mastered this. And the recordings sounded very tinny. Okay. And so then they realized... The polarity was off on one of the channels. They reversed the polarity, and suddenly the album sounds incredible. And that's the version that's that the you remaster. and I were listening to. Yeah. That's the remaster we're going to listen to. Yeah. And so after Andy Partridge being such a dick about all this stuff, turns out he was right. He was right. <laughs> yeah. it, it he might have been wrong bad. about the arrangements and the order, but he was right about the fact yeah. that it sounded bad. Yeah. And t- Todd Rundgren was so adamant about, about this that even the record company goes, yeah, it does sound kind of thin. And he just quit. He's like, fine, you guys finish it. And so they had to get somebody else to come in and finish the mastering. That's crazy. Yeah. They go home to, to back to Swindon. They go back to Britain, and they start telling everybody, that was the worst shit ever. It's going to suck. It's going to absolutely suck. They had a couple singles that hit, and they told everybody, this is going to suck. And, and, and those singles did flop. Yeah, they yeah, did. They terrible. didn't go anywhere. They didn't. I, I don't even know if they even tried it in the U.S., uh, but in Britain, they flopped, and they, right. were, they were a British band. Yeah, I think so. they released Grass was one of the singles, and it just, like, people changed the channel. Yeah, they just didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't until a, I believe it was in Florida, a college radio station, uh, gets grass that had the B-side of Dear God right? and goes, wow, this is really, really out there. So We're going to spin this. College. We don't care about grass, but we'll go ahead and spin the B-side. Yeah. And so, uh, man, they put that in. People around there went crazy. And so they started playing it. And like a virus, it just kind of took off. And what a fantastic thing from that time period, though, the B-side is. The B-side. Because I can remember buying... You know, you didn't have enough money for the whole tape, 
you know, maybe you pop on down to your local sound warehouse or Target and shell out the two or three bucks for the single yeah. of the song you wanted, and you never knew what was going to be on the other side. Yeah. And sometimes it sucked, and sometimes it was great, and sometimes you went and bought the album, and whatever was on the B-side wasn't on the album. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, yeah. this is just, where did this random song come from? It's like the song fairy just like showed up. I, I had no idea how this worked. But yeah, once right. again, in our in our streaming world that we live in now, it's a total. It's you a don't total have that concept. Yeah, yeah. This idea of the of the B side of something that was not good enough, or was not. It just didn't make the cut for some reason. Yeah. How's that? Like not that was not good enough, but for some reason it didn't make the cut. But that they would put it on the B side of a single and people got to hear it anyway. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. It is, and and and, and if, if not for that, this album would have been lost to lost to memory. Completely lost. Yeah. This would be an album that everyone overlooked and never even listened to. Uh, by the way, did you know that uh, Strawberry Fields was a B side? Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And I think uh, maybe M- Come Together was a B-side. Maybe two well. of their top ten most popular songs ever were both B-sides. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I, I saw a list. I wish I'd written it down. Uh, th- there were some very popular B-sides. Uh, the, um, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys was a B-side. Was a B-side. Yeah. Uh, or it was actually it released as a single, um, but... That's it was crazy. Kind of a B side single, yeah. yeah. It was between albums, so it wasn't even put on an album. So I mean, of course, of course, Andrew Partridge has to copy the Beach Boys and right. Beatles with his only hit of the album being a B side. <laughs> Maybe there's a master plan in there somewhere. I mentioned the fact that the radio stations were getting death threats; they were getting bomb threats. Uh, that's the best way to make things go crazy is to threaten. Sure, them. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the whole uh, no, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly they thought Todd Rundgren was a genius. Because suddenly they have money, and suddenly their record contract was renewed. Suddenly they are all touring in again. And never, well, they, actually, no, that's they, right. They, they never, never they toured. Never toured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've since broken up. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't play anymore. Uh, I've seen some interviews with Andy Partridge, and he's just as wacky as he always was. Just kind of out there, just a very, very strange, odd duck. You know, um, is he a guy from the Beach Boys? Weird or not quite there. Guy from the Beach Boys was crazy. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. But I think Andy has a little bit of that. But I mean, he was, he he even says he's a, he's a self professed on, on the autism spectrum. Right. So he just sees things in a different way. You sure. Know? And if if you try to reason with someone who's adamant about this one way, I could totally see where he would just think that everybody was against him. You know. I, sure. And you know, and that, that's a fair point. Yeah. So I, I I get where he's coming from. He had a vision. He wanted it to go a certain way, and it just didn't go that way. But so. man, once again, if it had gone his way. Nobody would have given a shit. They were wanting to know about it. Yeah. I, it's an interesting album. It's one that you probably have never heard of. You definitely have never heard any of the singles unless you've heard Dear God. But Dear God's going to be the last one we come to. Uh, so what we're going to do is take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to do a full spin of the 1986 album by XTC called Skylarking. Today's retail landscape is complex, but the goal to increase profits and build brand loyalty remains the same. Retail Dimensions, a development and strategic alliance partner of Retail Pro, has built the highly customizable RDI integration engine to seamlessly connect the sales activity from your point of sale system and e-commerce platform in real time. Go to RetailDimensions.com or call 503-644-5301 today. 
to learn more about how you can supercharge your business with a Retail Dimensions RDIS integration engine. Attention retail store owners. Imagine this. Your customer walks in and is greeted by an associate with a tablet in hand. As they browse the store, your rep makes recommendations based on their current selections, all the while building an accurate customer profile that you can use to improve business. On the back end, this powerful retail management software ensures you have the correct inventory on hand, follows up with customers to bring them back to the store, and provide the best possible service. Turn each and every one of your employees into a superstar at RetailProDemo.com. That's Retail ProDemo.com. For questions, comments, suggestions, or if you think we got something wrong, visit us at ourfavoritealbums.com. Hey, did you know we have a new website design? I did not. Yeah, go check out the new website design at Our Favorite Albums with all of our previous episodes and some of our top ten lists from the previous years. You can find us on Twitter at Our Favorite Albums. You can find us on Facebook at Our Favorite Albums. Or if you want to send us an email, you can send it to info at ourfavoritealbums.com. Hey, Jason. Hey, Michael. Don't forget that the Food Truck Championship of Texas is coming up on June 5th in Graham, Texas. You're damn right it is. Oh, boy. We've got a big concert up here, man, up here in the, in the big sky country of Texas, right on the Brazos River, and Possum Kingdom is the area that we live in. The, uh, the Saturday, the first Saturday of June. Come out to Graham, Texas, where there will be something like 40 or 50 food trucks lined up. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. And our very good friends, Yatai Ramen, yeah. are going to be back again this year. Yatai I'm very ramen. excited to eat a little bit of ramen. Yeah. But he's over in Fort Worth rolling back in to do this again. A ramen food truck. Uh, that, that's a food truck that we have sponsored at Complete Data Systems for a few years. Uh, they are back. And so if you don't have plans or even if you have plans that aren't as good as... The Food Truck Championship of Texas. Make plans to come out, spend the day with us, uh, go out, eat some food, and then go to the big concert with Whiskey Myers and Old 97s. Old 97s, that's wow. right. Yeah. For information, go to foodtruckchampionshipoftexas.com. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And you know what? I think there'll be a uh, million people here this year just because of... The fact that nobody got to do anything last year. <laughs> yeah, so we're all ready to get out. Everybody's like, damn it, I want to do something. <laughs> yeah, let's head to Graham, Texas. Which, by the way, if you want information, go to GrahamTexas.net. There you go. Yeah. Today, we are discussing the 1986 album Skylarking by a group called Letters XTC. Stylized as XTC, but when you say it, it sounds like ecstasy. Ecstasy. I don't know what... Had Molly taken off that much in, I don't by think, this point? I don't think MDMA was a thing. I don't then, think was so. It? By the time we got to high school, ecstasy was all the thing that... That was more of a 90s kind of yeah, thing. Early so. 90s. That some people did, obviously not. Yeah, really. obviously. Jason and I would never do anything ecstasy. of Anything that was remotely <laughs> illegal. <laughs> we would never do something that would cause us to have the greatest night of our lives. <laughs> and you will forgive me, we, we are here in Texas, it is May, and uh, I've got my extra special pollen-induced blues voice. Yeah, I know, it sounds like we're 
chain smoking <laughs> through the recording, but we're not. Yeah. yeah, the other day I came in the office and you, I said, so, I was like, man, I feel like I've been smoking all night. And you said, yeah, while sitting at the bonfire. The that's camp. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sitting around a campfire, chain smoking cigarettes. That's how I feel. Yeah. So if you hear me sniffle and I, I sound, there, there was an episode of Friends uh, where Phoebe had a cold and she had her extra sexy voice. That's right. You know? I forgot about that. I know, I, there's got to be someone out there. I know there's someone out there that knows the Friends episode that I'm talking about. Those sons of bitches, bitches are having a, a like a reunion show. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I can we all just Ooh. listen. I'm all for bringing stuff back, I guess. But maybe could we just like leave things where they were uh, and just, try something new? It, everyone's run out of ideas. But you know what? That's exactly why we are reviewing someone else's album. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> Our unique idea in our art is to talk about someone, someone else's, else's art. There yeah. you go. Exactly. Uh, and today, of course, we are talking about the XTC album, Skylarking, which is one of our favorite albums. So here we go. Uh, we talked about this. This album is uh, representative of a full day in the life from dawn to dusk and or sunset. A, a full life, even, if you will. Which is also a full cycle of life from Correct. birth all the way down to death. And it's not a happy life. It's one of struggle. It's it does have of, its moments, though. Yeah. yeah there, are, there are some up moments in this. Yeah. So. And you mentioned it. It's weird the juxtaposition of the, the lively, kind of fun-feeling music, the rollicking, you know, kind of the, the pop chords. Janky pop. Yeah. With the really morose and kind of sad. Well, with the subject matter in general. But, and as the songs play, we'll, we'll talk about this. But the lyrics, um, once again, do not go with... The music in a lot of senses, and not just the not just the storyline, not just the concept, if you will, or the topic, but just the lyrics in general. And the song we're about to listen to, he uses lines like "breathing in boiling butter." Um, that's not a very pop. <laughs> it's not a pop lyric that you would expect to hear. Miley Cyrus never wrote a song that had "breathing in boiled butter" in the lyrics. You know? <laughs> that's true. But I mean, th- as brilliant as these guys are, this was originally a poem that Andy Parker wrote called uh, "That's Right, Browning that's in right. a Summer's Cauldron." Yeah, and so the first two songs, Summer Cauldron and Grass, are actually written as a two-part suite that actually flowed together, and so they practiced it. As you'll notice, it actually It, it goes seamless. right into each other, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's meant to be that way. Uh, if at first listen, you listen to this and you think, ah, I'm, I'm kind of with Jason, I, don't, I really don't care for this, stick with it. Listen to it on your own. This should be uh, consumed as a full album, as is our, our favorite way to listen to albums. Yeah, and I would encourage everybody to... Uh Try and get through this one with us. If you have my initial reaction to the first couple of songs, just just bear with it. Yeah. So, here we go. This is XTC's Skylarking. The sun is coming up. The day shall begin. Could you imagine their faces when they first heard this? And he's got like, <laughs> are those crickets? <laughs> what the hell did you do to my heart, man? But listen, to, listen to the beaming sun come up. Lots of synth here too. Yeah, it's oboe. I think is probably what that sound and, and, is. And that right there is where I did the whole. I'll just come back to this later, over and over and over again. Yeah. Bass playing is so good. Breathing in the boiling 
You better look up the lyrics because you won't be able to understand what he's saying. Yeah, none of it makes any sense. Fruit of sweating golden Inca. Yeah. And the line before that was the boiling butter one I mentioned earlier. And the crickets kind of put in time as a as a percussion it's, it's, instrument. It's, it's like somebody's playing a tambourine or something. Yeah, yeah. kind of. What's that bass, man? I think it's so cool that the drums were added afterwards, and that's what he he heard that right and, and knew what to do with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to the drummer for figuring out how to interpret the music. After it was done. And so Prairie Prince, the drummer, was encouraged to play some spastic drum fills, kind of like Jethro Tull's Sweet Dreams. Really? 1969, yeah. And so, like, you hear those pop pop like that. And so, after they go through the When Miss Moon Lays Down the chorus part again, listen to his fill that he puts in. Pop 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 pop. Just kind of like sporadic and kind of out of nowhere. Sonic quality of this is really cool too. The sound yeah, of it, absolutely, it's really well recorded. I love. There's not a two and four beat here. No, it's all over the place. It's really good. And the rounds, you know, the background vocals, right? I mean, it's just it's well constructed. These guys really know music. Well, they, really they can the, play. They know. They know what they're doing. Yeah. All right, listen to the drum fills right here. Listen to this. Man, that's cool, dude. And it, it kind of sounds like it's supposed to explode into some big instrumental or mm-hmm. section, and then it just stops and goes back to it again. Yeah. 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 But again, if we go back to the concept of this is a baby being born, right? You know, and like big buildup, and there it is. And it's kind of hanging. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Colin's bass playing is what holds this all together and makes it listenable. Yeah. And then we go into grass. And here we go into grass. Yeah. There was a little bit of a break in there, just so you can hear the, the track break. But now we're moving on to the next stage, which is, again, that adolescent interest in sexuality. Right. The, you know, the, what we're doing with a girl. Or another boy, I guess. So, the uh, first notes I made on this when I finally got through it was that the uh, the singing on this has all of the vocal complexities of a Ringo Starr tune. Uh, well, and it's funny. This is a Colin Moulding sung song. But it's just, it's so... There's nothing like the singing's terrible. <laughs> Colin Molding is not a great singer. He's a great bass player. Yeah. yeah. Which can you not hear the Ringo star in that? Like, totally. The, like yeah. the Beatles have recorded that they're just like, we'll let Ringo sing one and he's just like giving it what he's got. Yeah. yeah. The poetry of this song is really cool. We'll take a tumble excuse for a fumble. Right. You know, so there's like some heavy petting going on and they're talking about rolling around on grass. This is fun <laughs> sexuality right here. I will pounce on you. I will you. pounce on you. I you tell everybody go home and tell your wife or girlfriend, I will pounce on you. You need a good pouncing. <laughs> a panda pouncing. That's a sexy line, right? 
over and over, over we flatten the, the clover. clover. Yeah. It shocked me to the things we used to do on grass, and it will shock you to the, the things, things we used to do, we used to do on grass. grass. So is he talking about weed, or is he talking about? I think it's a. Uh, I think it's all. Yeah. Multiples. Yeah. yeah. This was the first single. Didn't and do it anything. Nosedive. Yeah. And it was written about Coatwater, which is a park in Swindon. Hence the grass. The composition is an open E. Okay. Total, total theft of John Lennon's stuff right there, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we still have the uh, insects in the background. Yeah. So that, that reprise of back... Right. Because he's still a kid. You know, we're still in childhood here. But Ad- we're getting... Adolescence, in- I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Adolescence. Young adulthood. How's yeah. that? But then we get into the meeting place. And so now it's more than just at a park playing around and, you know, fumbling around. This is a really interesting song. Um, this one this one took a little while to grow on me, but once it did, I really liked it. Um, it there's a really interesting transition between the verse and the chorus here. Yeah. The song does some very strange things, but it's very well done. So those... That sound right there was to mimic the uh, steam horns that went off to let people know it was time to get off work in Swindon. So that apparently was a sound that they had in their hometown. Really? Yeah. You like the round? Yeah. Yeah, he even says their whistle will blow. The whistle yeah. will blow. Yeah, so this is... Uh, Young adults, if you will, talking about getting off work. You're gonna hear the whistle. You hear the whistle blow. You know I'm off work. Now we can we'll meet up. Yeah. But still a young adult because it has that childish, childish right. nursery rhyme feel to it. You know, that, when he says you're, you're a working girl now, you got money of your own. So, and I assume that he just meant that she was like old enough to have a job, not that she was a quote unquote yeah, working girl. The musicality of this is so good. I yeah. love this. It's such a strange transition from verse to chorus. I did notice that the uh, like the way he does his long eyes. Oi, oi. You know, Throwing on the grimy skies, which is that West English, <laughs> right, right. Uh, West Country English. There is a whole lot of that round singing yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, there really is. But if you're transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, you know it's still call back to your childish. Ah, sure, you know, sure. So you're an adult, but you're you're a working girl now. You got money of your own, but you're still a kid. Right. You know? Sure, that makes sense. Once again, great bass playing by Colin. The song sounded so summery to me, you know? Yeah, I can see that. And then if if you think about a day in the life of a summer day, the way this was recorded in the summer, 
It totally makes sense to me. Yeah. This song reminds me a lot of a kid listening to this in the summertime out of school. And, you know, just kind of hanging around the house and listening to it. And I just... I, I can see where you're coming from on that. The horse clomp. Or it could be the time of the time clock clicking. This may be going a little faster. Yeah. Okay, we're at... That's, this is track four. That's really super, super girl. You said you had some comments about this. This is my absolute least favorite track on this album. Really? Even with all the listening, I cannot get past this song. I, I love the song. I think it's so cool. I, th- I think that, I think it's trying, lyrically it's trying too hard to be clever. Yeah. And it just doesn't work for me. Now the groove is, musically, the groove is really interesting. And the bass playing is fantastic. See, I think it's interesting because he's a normal guy, and he's saying, you're Supergirl, you're supposed to be able to save everything, but you can't save you us. You can't fix our relationship. Yeah. And, and he says, I can't hold you down if you want to fly. Like You're too right. strong for me. You're Supergirl. And then for him to say, that's that's really super, Supergirl. See, but that's, that, that's I that, don't feel super, Supergirl. That, that, the play on words is what drives me nuts. It's, it's nerdy, yeah. And I bet, I'm sure you don't but like this, this part is, right here. No, actually, that's a part I like. Do you really? That's instrumentally very interesting. Okay. I like that back and forth and the way it kind of stops and changes a little bit. I think that's interesting. Yeah. It's the most interesting part of the song. But it, it's Baroque. It's very Baroque style. Sure, sure. You know, very British. I, I love the way he goes, you're changing the world's weather, but you couldn't put us back together. Now I feel like I'm tethered deep inside your fortress of solitude. Don't mean to be rude, but I don't feel super, super girl. Right. And so he's like, listen, I love you, but I'm not feeling great about this. Right. And, I, and I love that angst where he is completely powerless. Sure, you sure. Know? And she's out saving some other man. But she can't save him. She can't fix this. Yeah. And that baseball. Bomb, 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 uh, basically, bomb, I said, bomb, musically, bomb. this is very interesting. The lyrics just absolutely beat me. He's got his first girlfriend. He's starting to have issues. And he's starting and to figure out goes. Flight. Yeah. <laughs> so this guitar solo was played. This is really played, good guitar solo. This was played by Dave Gregory, and it was played on Eric Clapton's guitar. His uh, psychedelic Gibson SG, The Fool. Oh, no kidding. Todd Rundgren had it and uh, let him play it on the... Really? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. love he goes you stopped the universe from dying but you couldn't stop me from crying <laughs> and he she's left him in her fortress of solitude and he he tells her because he's meek and he's like i don't mean to be rude but i don't feel super and I, I, I think it's so i think it's very very bright and witty i, I get where you're coming from it's kind of i'm just gonna though. have to res- respectfully disagree well, i mean it's about that. a superhero so i mean it, it's hard to do a love song about a superhero. Wow, that's a good point, right? <laughs> Especially if it's a guy singing to a girl superhero. Yeah, it would right? be kind of hard to live up to, right? All right? So this is ballet for a rainy day. 
Okay, so that's funny to me because that's the title of their next album. Yeah. That that's the lead-off yeah. lyric in this. Which is from a nursery rhyme. Right. Yeah. This is so Beatles. That bass does really stick out, doesn't yeah. it? Especially here where he kind of ups the tempo a little bit. Oh, that's Todd Rundgren's influence right there with that, right? Yeah, it would be. The, the piano stuff. I love the snare. That piccolo snare that pops. It's a very melancholy song, you know, for a heartbreak song. Sure. It's a rainy day, and, you know, he's watching a ballet on a rainy day, you know, people dancing in the rain. You know, you can see this is someone who's, he broke up with Supergirl, and now he's having to deal with uh, the heartache of that. Supergirl just left him, actually, yeah. right? In, in her fortress of solitude. <laughs> and I'm sure we've always, we, we've all felt that way, like... Oh sure, you feel helpless in a relationship, even if it's not really Supergirl. You just go, "You're the one that has all the power. I can't do anything about this." This has got some interesting discordant, like non-Beatles, yeah, for as Beatles as it is. There's uh, some yellow submarine feel to this on a lot of, uh, like some of the the British feel to it, you know? Yeah. You know, these guys, they get very close to, to Baroque pop, like orchestral pop. Right. You know, it's very close to there, it's It's right there in yeah. a lot of these. It's right here right now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, without listening to this with the headphones on, I don't think you can really hear all the, there's a lot going on. Like, yeah. with multiple keyboard parts and a bunch of stuff. Okay, so I love the way that this, like the... It's not a crescendo, it's a decrescendo where it goes down. It's like him falling into, like now he's kind of sad looking at his window. And he's about to get into this anger where he's singing about 1,000 umbrellas fucking up his view. Listen to this. It's very theatrical, the way it moves from song to song. The glockenspiel back there. Isn't that crazy? And just like this, the, the string arrangement on this is really unusual, uh, especially for this album. We were over and over. I cried till I floated downstream to a town they call Misery. And I mean, this is a guy who is heartbroken. Yeah, this is pretty and depressing. He's, he's yeah. not heartbroken, sad. He is like heartbroken, angry, sad. I think he's past the sad point yeah. by the time he gets to this song. Yeah. He's at that, like, I want to... Yeah. That Morrissey anger where, like, I want to bludgeon your brain in the bed. I want to beat you with the cabbage. <laughs> Sorry, that's how I imagine Morrissey is angry. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's it's really interesting that this whole thing, it's just the strings and him singing. Yeah. No drums. Listen to his anger build here. You know, I love the concept of someone being so sad that they are raining. They they are crying rain. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Stevie Ray did that. Oh yeah, you know, but just that idea where we're filling the streets that there's so many tears from people, it, and that is just filling up everyone that there are umbrellas everywhere. And so now I'm sad. Plus, everyone's carrying an umbrella and it's fucking up my view, and I can't see anything. And that's <laughs> it's, making it's a very me mad. vivid imagery. Yeah, listen to this right here. He goes, oh, misery, misery. He's kind of like spitting out his lyrics a little bit there. He kind of sounds like Morrissey a little bit on this, actually. Misery. Like, he just, like, seemed mocking Todd Rungan through the control window. You know, like, no, you want it? You want it, my angry? (laughs) But I mean, it's, I, I'm not trying to generalize. I'm not saying that all angry British guys sound the same, but we get two of them to do. Yeah. So this is definitely Baroque pop. I mean, this is right out of the Beatles playbook, right? Absolutely. The first time I listened to this, I just kept waiting for the band to kick in. Like, here comes some drums and a bass line, and we're going to have a guitar solo over the top or something. And I love the bass coming on this. But when it finally comes in, it doesn't come in like I expected it to. Yeah. It's nice, though. Love the way the song ends. 1,000 umbrellas, 2,000 umbrellas, 10,000 umbrellas. (laughs) He thought it was uh, a summer day. And the doom in that is just... It's <laughs> overwhelming, it's right? Hefty. So now he's getting over it. He's at the point where he's had the heartbreak, and now he says, you know what? This is a cycle. So the seasons, you know, we, we went through winter, and it was all dark and rainy, and now we're into the, the happy parts again. And there's kind of a happiness to this, kind of a bouncy. This is the Beach Boys. This is the Beach Boys, man. I mean, it's almost like a like a dish soap commercial from the '60s, you know. It absolutely is, yeah. And they even do some doodoo news in this, by the way. I know how much you love the doodoo news. I love doodoo news. Here, the round. Once again, yeah, there's the round. Yeah. The, a lot of they do so much of that. But once again, that's the heavy duty Beatles Beach Boys influence. God, this sounds like a commercial. Doesn't it sound yeah, like a commercial? The kind like of commercial that you hear, you can't get out of your head. You're yeah. like pissed off when you're in the car later. But you know, even he says here, before he even gets to Dear God, he goes, I really get confused on who would make this. Is there really a God in heaven that says, everyone says, join our religion and get to heaven? Right? 
I say no thanks, why bless my soul, I'm already here in heaven. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, the, the theme is already there yeah. at this point in his life. God, that's so British. Once again, the uh, the theater of the way it stops and changes. Yeah, you can like see the extras run out on the stage for the little singing part. Yeah. You know, here come the chorus boys. <laughs> but again, that suite um, of music that um, you know, each piece is its own cycle. And then this whole album is a cycle. Right. You know, and Radiohead did that where it was like a suite of music. Correct. I mean, I, I <laughs> and once again, wouldn't it be insane to listen to this album if they had released it in the order they wanted to? Because yeah. it would not. It's, it's be a completely right? different animal. Yeah. 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 I wonder how many people before Wikipedia got this. Because I never got this until like later on. You'd actually find out. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew the songs and I liked the songs. And I thought it was kind of cool, but would never the have fact put that it was actually put together this way yeah, by the, the, the puzzle. Yeah. The puzzle. Way before podcasts of our favorite albums. Com. You said commercial. You know what else this reminds me of? It's like a theme song to a sitcom. Yeah. Like totally. they're all like piling onto the couch right now. And yeah. Like yeah. Totally. Good call, man. And it has like a little kid who's holding the basketball, you know, like, hey. <laughs> says his name. Did you ever see that Too Many Cooks thing on, on the internet? No, I don't think Look so. up Too Many Cooks. Okay, so this is my favorite song on this album. This is Total Beatles music right here, And this man. is such a radio friend, like, yeah. catchy jam. But it's interesting because it's also like a working man's anthem right so this is earn enough for us this is track number eight and so he's telling the girl i hope i can he's in a relationship now and like a solid one and what he's worried about is if you pay for everything yeah Yeah. i hope i can make everything i've been taking hurtful comments from the boss and i he says that i can take the humiliation that's fine that bass is killer man oh this bass line is the best one on the album it's so good I found a house that won't repair itself with its windows cracking and roof held together with holes. Right. That's pretty cool, man. I like this line. Just because we're at the bottom of the ladder, we shouldn't be sadder than others like us. So I'm, I, I appreciate you want to be my wife. But honestly, I'm just trying to pay my bills. Yeah, I don't even know if I you can know? afford this. Yeah. I'd like to make enough money to keep you, but yeah. this is really stressful. I'm so, doing my best here. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of angst in this where at first listen, you go, well, that's kind of sweet. You know, I want to earn enough for us, but it's not. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't well, know like how to keep going. like this verse right here. So you say we're going to be three. Now the father's what I'll be. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm happy, but the belt's already tight. One yeah. yeah. What do you want to do here? I guess I'll get another job at night. There's some really good harmonies on this, by the way. Yeah. 
So Colin Molding actually played this bass line, and Andy Parker didn't like it, and they got into a fight, and Colin Molding quit the band over this song, and they had to like draw him back in. No shit. Yeah. It's the best bass line on the album. It's amazing. Yeah, but Barker was like, nah, it's too bluesy. It fits the song perfectly. Perfectly. But it's just Andy Partridge just being a control Just being Andy yeah. Partridge, right. If they, had, if they had released this as a single... In 86, this would have been all over the place. Totally, yeah. It's That's good rock and fun. This would have been a big video. And a little waltzy thing at the yeah. end. Because we're waltzing into our wedding, which is the next the big album. big day. Yeah. Big day. This was written by Colin Moulding. And again, with that, like, your big day. Like, really, really thin <laughs> lyrics. You right. know, like, the vocals aren't great. Ringo Soul's back. Yep. So he actually, uh, Colin Moulding wrote this song about his son. On his wedding, or for his wedding. Yeah. This is cool here. It really, the guitar is really cool on this. What's funny, it's a big day and it's about a, a marriage, but when you start reading the lyrics, you realize he's like it's it's dad that's kind of like risk, he's telling him, Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> that's exactly what it is. He's like, Hey, the day comes and the day goes, it's not, it's not going to be today forever. Are you deafened by the bells? It could be heaven, could be hell in a cell for two. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Because if it's your big day, you know, you're you're the new recruit in your wedding suit, you know? Right. But uh, this could be really bad. If, yeah, I mean, are you sure? Yeah. Have you really thought this through? And maybe at this point, the dad's speaking from a little experience, so maybe his wedding, his marriage isn't what he wanted well, it to it's, be. It's that yeah. cycle of life, thing, yeah. right? You were just bitching about the fact that you didn't have any money, and now you're going to have a baby and you're going to get married? How's that going to make anything better? Right, right, right. right. The wedding bell sound. Yeah, there was there. a bell. So there's bells in the background. There, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of nuance yeah. to this album. It's really brilliant. The amount of little things that are just layered in in the background and the production, and I, I can imagine the band being not happy about a lot of that kind yeah. of stuff. The drums there, dude. He's getting it. Listen to that. He does little grace notes. Those little like yeah. taps that he puts in just to kind of like really give it some flavor. Love the tone of that guitar. Yeah, it sounds really cool, doesn't it? It's appropriately morose. Yeah. That's a pretty cool line. That many fingers have been burnt by the touch of gold. Yeah. I think this, uh, like, this English, like, iambic pentameter, the way that they wrote. I mean. It takes a poet to be able to write that Shakespearean oh, yeah, way. Absolutely. And once again, that is so operatic, theatrical.
Can't you just see like half the stage like doing the big day and pointing at the lead and he's doing his little lines yeah. back and forth, you know? It's like a musical. Or you can picture the the kid's father at the wedding that's just sitting there shaking his head <laughs> like, here's your big day, kid. Here's your big day. Hey, big shot, here's your big day. I mean, hey, I guess if you're happy, go for it. Once you get married, you may feel like a satellite that's just kind of floating around. And this is track 10, another satellite. So he's talking about how he's looking up at the moon and he's talking to the moon and he's like... Just another satellite floating around this earth. You know? Well, I, I kind of got this as a... I don't, I don't need another satellite. Like, I've already got one satellite in my life. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I get it. You know, like... I, I, where you're coming from. I, I got one, you know. Yeah. Stay back. That line, my heart is taken, is not lost in space. I don't need to see your moony face. That's a your weird moony line. Moony face. Moony face. I don't need to see your moony face. I like the creation of sound here. You know, it's not a there's traditional inter- instrument. There's some very interesting things going on. Yeah. Like when I first listened to this, I was like, I don't know what to make of the musicality of this yeah. because it's so unusual. I wonder how bands like Radiohead that are very musical and they create with, you know, with electronica. I wonder how much they were well, this, influenced by this. This that re- that's what this reminds me of. More, of course, and this is ten. Eight years before Radiohead was doing anything. 86. Uh, Pablo Honey came out in 93 or 94. Yeah, exactly. So 93. But, but Pablo Honey didn't sound anything like this. No. I mean, this was They were three albums in before they started doing this the, kind of stuff. But Kid A did. Yeah, Kid yeah. A had a lot of the like that synthesizer and weird yeah. ambient sounds. There's a biting, acerbic stab in Andy Partridge's voice. He sounds like a very unhappy person. He does, yeah. yeah. But it's it's really compelling to me. Like, I, no, no, I get it. Yeah. I've always loved his voice because it's it's different. You know, it's a little nasal kind of. So you know? I don't like. I did not like his voice. You say you always loved it. I I, I liked it because I don't it's like weird. It. Yeah, I but mean, it, it it works. Yeah. It, it it's. It's grating. It's a grating voice, and I it love, absolutely and, is. And I love that he puts it behind these songs that are supposed to sound kind of sweet, right. and saccharine, but they're not. They're actually very acerbic in themselves. Well, and they just did this whole fa 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 fa, which is like that happy pop nonsense. But that's it's it's used out of place here. Yeah. And by the way, there's a xylophone going on in my left ear right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. There is. Try to play along with any of this? No, I just listen to it. It's hard. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of like crooked chords and stuff. And they have a lot of weird tunings. I can tell just from listening. Yeah. There's some alternative stuff going on. If the uh, if the if the rhythm on this was a little more like intricate, this would and obviously somebody else was singing it, but this would have a real Radiohead vibe to totally, it. Yeah. This is kind of like early Radiohead kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. as far as the creative. Piece. And frankly, I think Prairie Prince kind of missed the boat on the drums on this. I agree. He's just kind of hitting the ride. He's kind of doing like a little like soft jazz thing yeah. off and then, and I think it could have been a lot more interesting yeah. than that. And he's done a great job drumming on this album, yeah. otherwise. But yeah, yeah. Like, and there's the xylophone again. Post production construction of the of the the song. You know, I think it's really cool the way he did this. But on this one, I just think he just kind of missed the boat. Yeah, I agree. Just sitting on the ride. I think there was there was a lot more creative options for that. 
which would have made this song way more interesting. But it's, you know, 1986 pop electronica that's not dance music. That's kind of that's pretty interesting, man. A little bit ahead of its time, really. And, you know, and maybe that's what he was afraid of on the drums, is that if he made it too interesting, it would yeah, kind of blend into a lot of the the nonsense on the radio. He didn't have to make it sound like a Buddy Holly song. Well, no, I agree. This is track 11, Mermaid Smiled. This definitely has some weird guitar tuning on it. Yeah. Kind of a... God, who did I think about it on this? America. Remember that song by America? That um, Oh, about the desert? Yeah. Gone yeah. through the hazard, yeah. desert on a horse with no name? Yeah, you're right. That does... That opener does sound kind of like that. This was in D6 tuning, which is on a guitar, D-A-D-A-B-F. Oh, my goodness. It has kind of an underwater feel to it. This is, once again, like very fantasy lyrics so much. Um, yeah. like the pools of the xylophone clear. <laughs> I mean, this, this could be nerdy Rush stuff from the 70s, you know. Born on foaming seahorse herd. <laughs> right. There's that tabla, that Indian. I like, I like that a lot. Yeah. Once again, this is track number 11. So back to my point when we started this, you have to want to get here. Yeah. You got to yeah. listen long enough to get here. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're just like doing like I normally do on albums, when I first hear an album, is go track, no, track, no, track, well, maybe, no, track, track, you listen to 10 seconds. You do 10 seconds of this song, I'm out, out hard. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> but once you get in, it's really interesting. So much sound. Yeah. The, uh, oh, that bass. Bass comes in. The bass is very interesting. Some sax on my phone. We have, yeah, but it's so buried in the back, it almost sounds ambient. It's that bass. I like how the drum picks up. Once again, he's doing kind of a jazz thing. Yeah. Discordant horns in the background. Very poetic. The way the lyrics are written. But where do you put this on the radio? I have. You can't. The bass line underneath this is ridiculous. Muted trumpets. Interesting sound. Does not fit with the song at all on paper, but somehow it works. I had a hard time figuring out where Mermaid Smiled fit into the cycle of life. I think I made a note that this is uh, part of the existential crisis where you're like falling in love with a girl and you can't really tell exactly why. Well, if, if we use the uh, if we use the logic, my argument that track ten, the previous one, another satellite is about another satellite, you know, another woman being brought into his universe that he doesn't he's saying he doesn't have the gravity yeah. for. That could be his existential crisis. But yeah. Who's the mermaid there? I don't know. This is track 12. Okay. This is that Spy Who Loved Me this feel. Is spy. This is ja- my original notion for jazzy, but not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's that 60s, like, snap your fingers. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's almost a, uh, like, a Tom Waits night at nights at that. I need you guys to bring me a martini and a pack of cigarettes, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my black suit, because that's what I need to put on for this. Nighthawks at the diner. It, night, yeah, yeah. Night, absolutely. Nighthawks at the diner. Very good. But this is very much like jazz spy thriller type oh, yeah. stuff, right? And, and the piano, like, kind of offset on the key like that is just, like, such that genre. 
The melody was inspired by Nat King Cole's version of Nature Boy. Oh, okay. And Andy Parker said he wanted to outdo Mac the Knife, the Bobby Darren version of Mac the Knife. And so it sounded like a spy film title to him. Gotcha. Just like Spy Who Loved Me, the man who sold ar- sailed around his soul. I got it. Okay. So it's almost like a drunken song where he's sitting at a bar and he's like, I'm the man who sailed around his soul, man. I'm like a spy that goes down my whole way with my... <laughs> Bring me another drink, asshole. Partridge instructed Perry Prince to drum like a jazz junkie drummer. He's definitely pulling that off. Yeah. Kind of a, a really G- interesting a feel. There's interesting electric guitar that was mixed way back in there that you can't hear without headphones on, really. Yeah. There's a lot of layers. A lot of one. layers, yeah. My notes say this is an existential beatnik song that says, You're born, you live, and you die. And Andrew Partridge says, Why look for the meaning of life when all there is is death and decay? And so that, that guy sounds like he'd be a lot of fun at a party. Yeah, that kind of nihilistic, uh, right? Uh, kind of the Frederick, ne- Frederick Nietzsche approach to philosophy. I mean, he's, this is a, but again, this is a middle-aged guy who's like, Nothing ever happened good for me. I got married. No, okay, but, yeah, but, but once again, like it only works if it's in the in the context, in the context of, of, yeah. of the album. Otherwise, if you rearrange the album, it sounds like a British pop band trying to do a '60s pop jazz tune spy thriller for no apparent reason. Yeah, yeah. That weird flute. Yeah. My buddy Aaron will say flute has no business in a rock and roll song. I would agree with him completely. Take that, Marshall Tucker. Take, Take that, that, Jethro, Jethro Tall. <laughs> Give the video music award back. <laughs> yeah, you didn't beat you, Metallica. bastards. A little Van Morrison feel there. That was a Van Morrison ending with the insanity. This is a uh, track thirteen. This is dying. God, what a sad song. I mean, he's at the end of his life. He's like, nothing's going to be good. I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm growing old. And yes, what it, else is like there? Th- this to me is uh, he's getting older and somebody who knows is even older dies. And then it's just like, or is dying or something. Just like that. Well, it's interesting that you say it, this. It's depressing, you know. And But it's also, it's like he's kind of realizing this is not too far away for him either, maybe, you know. So um, it was thought that the song was written by his dad that died. But it wasn't. It was written by his neighbor. Really? Bernie, Bernie okay. died, and he wrote this about yeah. our life is over. It's, it's how much kind of done. Kind of depressed him. Yeah. Gotcha. See, but there's a in that once again that fits with the album with the whole age thing because as you and I know, I mean we're we're middle aged, but the way you think about somebody dying when you're 20 and life is going to last forever versus you know during your 40s, and then the way our parents talk about somebody dying, your opinion changes yeah. dramatically with those phases in life. So. Once again, this works for him being depressed about it because we've gotten through that middle period. Yeah. There you go. I'm getting old too. <laughs> I don't want to die like you. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, it's it's almost like a precursor to Dear God, like the sound of it, and you know some of these chord changes. The chord stuff. changes, the key, the melody, it sounds very much like it. Yeah. Then we're back to the rounds. So his neighbor, Bertie, he thought no one had seen him for six months. His wife died, and they just thought he had died, too, because they didn't see him. And it turns out he was just depressed in his house and by himself, leave. just alone. He, had oh, wow. like, he was like, God, I don't want to die like that. I'm going to die, but I don't want to die, <laughs> like, die that. like you. Well, you know what? Bertie didn't want to die like that either, and Bertie had a cycle of life. Well, and, and nobody wants to die, period. Especially like that, though. Yeah, alone especially and lonely and miserable, yeah. This is track 14. This is Sacrificial Bonfire. By the way, Dying and Sacrificial Bonfire. No, I'm sorry. Sacrificial Bonfire and Mermaid Smiles were not included in the original okay. track list, and they added them later on. Gotcha. And so this kind of has this. So like, Dying would have been the original end track. Yeah. The end track. The whole thing before yeah, so, Dear God was added. Gotcha. Yeah. And so this is kind of an interesting song. It's almost like a. Um, okay, so in my notes, if I can look, jump in. Yeah. I said. These are Iron Maiden lyrics. Okay. That kind of fantasy, yeah. otherworldly. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, if this was a, if this had a metal soundtrack behind it, this would be an Iron Maiden song. Yeah, totally, totally. Yes, yeah, so it's it's on fan- the wings of the demon. He did this. Yeah, almost exactly. like a Tenacious D song. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. So they're sacrificing a goat, right? Like a mayday, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, uh, you get some weird people together, like, like the, a ceremony, like, like yeah, a, yeah, like a, like, like a wicker man kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, you know what? Wicker man's a good. Yeah, yeah. What Fiber, a weird, yeah, what a weird chorus change, right? But that's the other thing that kind of made me think, like theatrical metal. That guitar right there is really cool. It is. That's very Radiohead as too. When you think it about absolutely Paranoid is. Android. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hear the fire crackling. Yeah, I was gonna say that you hear the fire crackling in the headphones. That's really cool. What a weird song, man. It's so weird. So is this our our ceremony to try to preserve some kind of youth? In our old age, That's, yeah, some kind of ritual, yeah. And so, and ritual is what I was going for. Yeah. yeah, and and far for me to think that I was am better at arranging the songs, but I think the last three songs are slightly out of order in, okay. the, in the story. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like they're a little shoehorned. Maybe not dying because dying really is pretty poignant. But this and mermaid smiles are just kind of shoehorned into this. We're like, these are cool compositions, but. Yeah, what do they mean though? Yeah, but they don't they don't actually fit necessarily into the original vision of the concept album. I think if you put this before dying and have dying go straight into Dear God, it would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I got it. And those strings, one of them, one of them. I know, it's crazy. 
I'm pretty sure it's all synthesized string, though. Yeah, I think he was using a... Oh, I had it there somewhere, but yeah, it's a big synthesizer unit. A Korg, I think. I think that's 6-8 time is what that is. Only one on the album. Man. That was the 14 tracks before we got a fade out. That's not too bad. Uh, you know what? That, that's true. And that song actually is kind of apropos for it fading out. Yeah. Uh, forgive the pause. I just want to make sure that uh, I give due deference to a song that I said would be on my top, probably uh, probably top 15 songs if I were making. We did our top 10 songs each uh, to start the podcast out. This would probably be my top 15. Um, somewhere in there. And... They got this little girl to sing this. Her name was Jasmine Villette. Uh, they wanted this little kid sound almost like a little kid praying at night, like praying to God. And then the kid breaks away, and you have Andy Partridge come through with that again, that acerbic cutting vocal styling of his voice, you know, just right. like, and he's just like so mad. Um, it, it's this. If we're on our deathbed and we're at the very end of our life and we're going, what was this all about? You know, I, I wanted meaning, but like Albert Camus said, you know, searching for the meaning of life is absurd in and of itself because, you know, it, your your essence precedes whatever you were meant to be. And so, you know, he he's saying, what was I supposed to be? Now I'm dead. And the answer is you were supposed to be whatever you were. Well, yeah, and you know? we've... I mean, to that point, we've seen throughout the last several songs kind of a descent into uh, unhappiness. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so this, this, this is a life. Uh, what's the book of life? Well, this is a life not well lived. If you yeah. will. I mean, this guy's ended unhappily, and he's at, he's angry, rightfully, on his bed at this point. And like I said, this song only makes sense in that context. As a single, I think it's ridiculous. But yeah. it, on the and nothing against you, I know it's one of your favorites. But you know, for me, it's silly. But in this context, it makes sense. Yeah, for someone who and and this song, I think. Uh, it, it, when I was grappling with, um, loss of faith, this song helped me because I realized there was somebody out there who was feeling the same way I do. Sure. You know? sure. If you didn't feel this way, you're like, man, come on, just get off like your little anger move. But right. you know, if, 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 if you had that sort of crisis of faith, sure. then this song really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that the song style was actually, uh, patterned after Rocky Raccoon by the, by the Beatles. And so that skiffle feel, okay. it actually was. And he was playing it and just started playing it in a, a much more, instead of Rocky Raccoon tends to be this like Western right. ballad style, he started playing it with a much more sinister sound. And so then you get Dear God. Gotcha. And then this letter that he actually wrote, sit there and just like writing out the letter, you know, Dear God, I hope you got the letter and I hope you make it better down here for all of us. Cause you know, me, you know the price of, price of beer. And um, as he's writing this down, this comes out. And the the way that he ends with this, like, march, where, again, someone who's dying and they're looking up and they go, I don't believe in heaven and hell, no saints, no sinner, 
No devil as well, no pearly gates, no thorny crown. Again, going back to the Western idea of Christianity. Right. Uh, you're always letting us humans down. The wars you bring, the babes you drown, those lost at sea and never found. And it's the same the whole world around. The hurt I see helps to compound that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was just someone's unholy hoax. And if you're up there, you'd perceive that my heart's here upon my sleeve. And if there's one thing I don't believe in, and that little kid comes back, with that innocence right. of it's you. And so it's that cycle of life back that this was so poignant for me listening to this going, wow, I'm scared to death. If my mother knew <laughs> I was listening to this, she would beat the devil out of me, you know? <laughs> um, but again, if, if you think of it in, in the t- context of this entire album, add it in. And this is the last thing he says as his, right. as his dying words. He's saying, I don't believe in this. You know, you never gave me anything. If there's one thing I don't believe in, it's you. It's you. Yeah. And it's just that, that anger just there, comes oh, out. It's, yeah, so, it's, this so is poignant. definitely the pinnacle of the anger on this album. Yeah. The Rocky Raccoon part of that? I, I like the guitar. I like the tone. I like the playing. Uh, D- Dave Gregory, I think, is doing this. Okay. Little Jasmine singing. She was an, Eng- uh, an American. She has a great voice. Yeah. And I like that guitar as well. Yeah. It's a nifty little arpeggio there. Those little bounces on that snare. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Everything just sounds sinister, right? Yeah. But I think he's also... One of Colin's he, less interesting bass lines. Yeah, I'm yeah re- really simple bass. Yeah. I, I think... There's so much space here. I think he's angry, but he's sad that he's so angry. You know, he's like, why did you do this to me? I don't believe in you. You know? <laughs> right. Sure. How could you do this? You don't exist. Wait, there, there's actually a good baseline there. But... Sorry, Colin. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he's yeah. like, it's, it's, he's bitter. Yeah. I he, think bitter's, I think bitter is better than angry. He's just, he's bitter. He's bitter at something he doesn't believe in. So, right. like, what, if you don't believe in it, why are you bitter? <laughs> right. Yes. And that's. That growl so, right there, and, and I can see why you would find that scary. Eighty six. So I, I find it amusing that uh, probably eighty nine or ninety is when, when I when you were actually listening yeah. to. Okay, gotcha. Um, eighty yeah, eighty six would definitely be scary. I, so t- to me, something I find kind of amusing about that is like if that's the last thing you're gonna do is write a letter to somebody you don't believe in, you waste a lot of time doing it. Yeah, you waste. Like, th- that's an interesting. Like, how bitter and angry do you have to be to put that much time into yeah. it? You know. It's, His his lyrics are crafty, yeah, uh, they're definitely well done. Yeah, the accents, the yeah the syllables. I mean, I mean, he he does a really good job. There, there's some subtle humor in there. I mean, it's yeah. like the, the guy singing, the, the character in the song is bitter, but the guy singing the song has got some humor in it. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the way it's phrased and stuff. I do. And here's that part you were talking about before the song starts. Yeah. 
again on the video that it scared me so much. It was him like banging, banging on a tree, almost like you're you're nailing Jesus' like, hand across. You, gotcha. you know. And, and I, I have to question why they would have left us off the album in the beginning because this is obviously the single for College Radio in 1987, right? Satanic Panic. You know. Yeah, I mean, but with it, why would you not put this on? Build, 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 build. And then we have Little Jasmine. It's a uh, it's a strange end to that song. Yeah, it was a strange end to the album. It, yeah, it but, is. But again, if you look the at the whole album, strange though. So yeah. <laughs> it kind of you know, works. From look, the, we started with uh, crickets in a synthesized sunrise. I mean, so th- this has been a it's a long, strange trip. Yeah, but but is this not the the synthesized sunset? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah think absolutely. About, like, oh, I mean, th- this is fall. their uh, this is their. 15 album version of a day in the life yeah exactly is you're exactly right yeah and again they took a little longer they took a little long yeah the day in the life by the beatles they took a little longer to get there but it's the same concept that 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 idea of one man's journey through the day yeah and he's experienced it all he's experienced the highs of of uh you know adolescent fondling there was was happiness i mean the guy was in love and then he had his heart broken then he got married and he was happy and then he had to find a job and then his kid got married and he wasn't sure how that was going to go and then he was bitter and then he was dead yeah and uh and his question is what was it all for and the truth is that you know life is all about what you make of it it's it's about what you do now and so so hey you know and not to get overly philosophical here but we should if you're if you're you know the album kind of provokes it yeah i mean if you're laying on your deathbed alone and it is what was this all about? Well, then I think you get, you answered your own question. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you don't yeah. if you don't have anything that you think it was all worth, then it probably wasn't. And maybe there's some of this soothsayer thing where you know we look back at it and go, you know, he, he's telling it. Of course, he was like 30. You know, when he did right, this. Right. But uh, if if you could go back and tell your 30 year old self, this is what life is about. Don't sit around and wait for uh, for life to present its own meaning to it. Sure. You've got to get out and make life yeah, yeah, or whatever make it's going to be. It, right? right. So I mean, I, I, and I think there's like. Um, uh, and he even says he, uh, Andy Partridge says that he's an atheist, but he says, but you know, I actually believe in the in the um, metaphorical concept of heaven and hell, and you know, just rewards and right. due punishment and that sort of thing. So uh, you know, he, it, it's not like he he exudes this bitterness that he had in '86. You know, thirty something years later, um, right? I I think it's actually a pretty good pretty good hey, warning for people. Well, there you go. Maybe so. And yeah, and maybe the. I mean, hey, it was a, a lot of great art. We talked about this before. A lot of great albums are captured, um, are snapshots of a time period that the people that created them were not at their best. Sure. And sometimes that breeds really good art. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't mean they're always going to be like that. You know. That's just that's where they were then, and this is what we got, and then you move on from there. So. Yeah. Last thoughts on this. I'm really glad we did it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually make a recording of myself going. I can't believe how much I like that, and just play it on the <laughs> podcast from now on um, for any time that I didn't like the album when we did it because I feel like I've said that like three times in a row. But uh, no, it, it was, it's a really really good album, and mm. I, I think that most people I know um, would that have the same musical taste that I do would have a hard time getting into it like I did. Yeah. And I would say, um, you know, I hope you encourage you to like give it a shot because. Um, it's a great example of the fact that if you 
if you'll give them a little time to tell you what they're trying to do, it's, it's sometimes it's worth the ride. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just like taking a, a, a loaf of bread, if you take one slice of bread, you may go, well, you know, this bread's okay, but really that loaf of bread is one great big loaf of bread, right. you yeah. know? And if it's meant to be devoured completely, then you have to devour the entire loaf of bread before you can understand it. Yeah. And you can't base the, the inside on the crust, you know? I mean, it's, it all goes together. Yeah. Th- there's a Use whole your analogy. Yeah. 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 Well, we hope that Skylarking appeals to you in some way. And hope that you appreciate the unique way that this album was created and produced by a British group that was about to break up and an American producer of super pop music. Most of all, we hope that you understand why Skylarking by XTC is one of our favorite albums. Thanks for hanging with us. Our Favorite Albums podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests only. All copyrighted material is presented for review, criticism, or critique only. Content rights are reserved by the copyright owners. This has been a production of Our Favorite Albums.